this is our sixth message on Luke 4.18. Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. That's salvation. And his main mission was that he came to seek and to save those that were lost. And wherever Jesus is present, people get saved. And Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Those hearts have been broken by grief, by guilt, by any, any, many, many, many reasons. Rejection, abuse. Jesus is present today. I mean, he's present today to save people. He's present today to heal the brokenhearted. And in Luke 4, 18 says, he came to deliver the captives. He came to set people free. And praise God, Jesus is still setting people free from bitterness and unforgiveness and from every kind of addiction. You know, here's a wonderful thing, folks. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I had somebody tell me early in the ministry, Jesus doesn't do today what he used to do. I'm glad I didn't believe that. Praise God. I'm thankful Jesus can do today what he's ever done in his ministry. Don't you limit Jesus by your unbelief. And he said he came to give sight to the blind. That's spiritual blindness and physical blindness. He came to bring healing. But today we're on the last thing he said. He came to to set set at liberty the oppressed. Let's read this verse together. And then we're going to read verse 21. So let's read this out loud together. You ready to do it? Let's go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now look at this verse. He said, I'm doing it right now. Look what he said to those people. And he began to say to them, today, Today, this scripture, Luke 4, 18, is fulfilled in your hearing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus started manifesting himself as he described it in Luke 4, 18, and he's still doing it today. And that's why we've been preaching on the manifested presence of Jesus. You know, today, he said he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You know, uh, I was just reading different translations of that verse. And, 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 and I uh, know the Amplified Bible is that. It's just, it's that, you know, you're not going to do serious Bible study with that. But I love the way they translated it. He said, I came to send forth in deliverance those who were oppressed. You know, what is oppression? Now, we hear a lot about that. Well, you, you just, just look the word up. And man, we all know what it is to be oppressed. It says to be oppressed is to be crushed. There are times in our lives that things have occurred that just absolutely seem to crush our spirit. That just a heaviness comes on us. And so a person is oppressed when they're in a spirit and attitude of just being crushed. It also means to be downtrodden. I like the words being beaten down. You know, so oftentimes, living in this sin-sick world and all the situations we deal with in life every day, man, we just feel like, man, I am just beat down. You know, I'm telling you, I don't know if I could get beat down. Hey, that's called oppression. When you feel crushed, when you're downtrodden, when you're beaten down, 
And it also means to be bruised. When a person's oppressed, there's a bruising. But also it means to, uh, uh, to be broken down. We all know what it is to be crushed, to be downtrodden, to feel beaten down. To be we all been there. Oppression is a hard place. It is a difficult place. And none of us are free from it. It comes in many, many ways. You know, Jesus constantly faced oppression. I, I, you look what it says in Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 7. It says he was a man who was oppressed. Look at it. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He was oppressed. Listen, Jesus, constantly, as we go through what, how people get oppressed, you've got to realize he lived his life with constant oppression. It is unbelievable. He was oppressed. Jesus knew what it was to be crushed. He knew what it was to be downtrodden. He knew what it was to be bruised. He was oppressed and afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep before his shearers was silent. He opened not his mouth. Do you reckon Jesus felt oppressed when he stood before Pilate? They mocked him. They plucked his beard out. They spit in his face. The lovely Son of God. Can you imagine what it was for Jesus to go into You think you've had oppression? My, I'm telling you, our Savior constantly faced oppression. So it's, you, you say, Brother Fred, can he relate to me? Can he understand how I feel? Can he? Listen, his whole life he battled oppression. L let me show you how deep the depression got, uh, oppression got with Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 36 through uh, 69. No, see. Matthew 26, verse 36 through 39. I want you to notice how oppressed he was in the garden. Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful. Listen now. He began to be sorrowful. But get this. And deeply distressed then he said to them who you talking about oppression my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death stay here and watch with me then he went a little further and fell on his face and said father if it is possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and he went on and and and, and he just cried out to God. Then he came to his disciples and asked them, could you not watch with me an hour? Listen, you know why Jesus Christ can send forth delivered those that are oppressed? Do you know why he can do that? Because he knows what it is to be oppressed. He lived his life in constant oppression. And he certainly understands when we are oppressed. You say, pastor, let me ask you a question. What causes, what are the causes of oppression? Now, I could mention a lot, but there are just a number that scripturally jumped out to me. Now, th th this is just true. 
that sin in our own life can cause us to be oppressed. In other words, our fellowship, if we're God's children, or if you're a lost person, but if you're God's children, if there's sin in your life, unconfessed sin that you have not repented of, I'm telling you, and a lost person, they don't know why they're oppressed, but it's because of sin in their life. But also believers who have sin in their life and don't get, keep, keep that fellowship with God restored, that they know what it is to be oppressed. You know the greatest example of that? You talk about oppressed. In Matthew 26, verse 69, I want you to look at Peter. In a couple of verses before that, he said, Now, Lord, Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'll rise again, and, and y'all, y'all going to be scattered. And Peter looked at him and said, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to be scattered. He said, I'll go to my death with you if I have to. He said, Peter, you do not know how weak you are. He said, you do not know that before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. It just went in one ear, Peter, and out the other. He just said, man, he had full confidence in his ability to do what only Jesus could do in him. And so Peter, you said, no, I won't do it. And we read on. And uh, he went outside in the courtyard. And the servant girl came to him saying, you also with were Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. Come on, Peter. And when he'd gone to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to them that were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. Can you believe this? The man who just said a few verses earlier, man, I'll go to my death with you. I'll never be scattered. But he denied him with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, he stood by. Uh, those who stood by said to Peter, surely you're one of them. Your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Begin to curse and swear? Come on, man. I do not know him. And immediately, the rooster crowed. You know, I don't live on a farm. I live about three or four blocks down here. But the people beside me have a barnyard. And they had the loudest rooster I have ever heard in my life. I mean, I am telling you, that rooster, man, he was faithful. And I'd go out on my deck, and there he'd go. He, and he's just, and every time he crowed, I thought about Peter. I said, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? But I'm going to tell you something. Peter was oppressed. And it says Peter, after he realized what he had done. So Peter remembered the word before Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Now look here, he was crushed. So he went out and he wept bitterly. Man, you talk about oppressed. You talk about oppressed. Peter had done the very thing he said he wouldn't he had sinned and now you're talking about crushed you're talking about beaten down he was crushed and beaten so sometimes our own sin but you know also now you need to stay with me on this sometimes there is demonic oppression you know it really is and it caught my attention in acts 10 38 now this when this is when uh, peter was over there with uh, uh, the Gentiles. 
Cornelius had sent for Peter and God was fixing to invite the Gentiles into the kingdom of God and, and say that God was going to accept the Gentiles through Jesus and the two were going to become one. And then Peter said, let me tell you, this is why God, I came over here. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good. Now listen to this, healing all who were oppressed oppressed by the devil for God was with him now I'm not saying that all crushing and all uh being beaten down and down I'm not saying all that is has demonic oppression but I'll tell you one thing when you get in those places and you can't figure out why you feel so oppressed and you can't see any reason for it to be in your life then I want you to remember Ephesians six ten. You better remember what it said. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For do we don't wrestle? Now listen to this. Sometimes you can just be oppressed by the enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Let me tell you one thing. If you're a child of God and you're, you're serious about going on with Jesus, do you think Satan's going to leave you alone? He will come to you sometime and will absolutely oppress you. And you, can't, you say, well, I don't understand what's going on. Well, you just take Ephesians 6.10, you put on the armor of God, and you tell the devil to go where he's going, okay? And you know where he's going. <laughs> now, this is interesting. There's another reason where oppression comes from. Our own sin, demonic oppression. But did you know oppression can come from the wickedness of others? Did you know that? I, I think it's in Second uh, Peter. I believe it is. Second Peter Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Did you know that oppression, if you're living among wicked people and you're surrounded by wicked people and that's the air you're breathing and the atmosphere you're in, look at what he says. He turned Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with, to destruction, making them an example of those who would afterward live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, look at this, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. I tell you, we're living in a day in this nation where, when, where wickedness abounds. And it, I, I'm going to tell you, the atmosphere, it seems like one step further into wickedness and darkness day by day. You can find yourself... Man, where's God in all this? Well, what happened to the moral foundation of this land that was founded? What, what has happened to us? How in the world did it get so wicked? And they're calling right, wrong, and wrong, right, and darkness, light, and light, darkness. And they've rationalized away the Bible. And you say, man, you, I tell you, you can get oppressed. You can get oppressed living in a wicked place. You can. It'll, it affects you. I promise you it does. And so it comes from our own sin. It comes from uh, demonic oppression. It comes from the wickedness of others. But also, let me say this. Oppres oppression can come from people. Hey, I, I want you to look at Psalm 17, 8, and 9. K 
boy, I love this. Psalmist is saying to the Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. I like this. Hide me under the shadow of your wings for the wicked who oppress me. Uh, Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me from my deadly enemies who surround me. I'll tell you one thing. Oftentimes, oppression comes from people. Much of the time, oppression comes from people. And, and the Word of God makes that abundantly clear, that we could be oppressed by people. And, and then there's another verse in Psalm 56, verse 1. It says here, uh, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. And you go on over in the, in the third verse, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And then he says, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I put my trust. I will not fear what man can do unto me. So we see our own sin can oppress us. Demonic oppression, the wickedness of others, the oppression of people. But wait a minute. There's another thing. Tragic, unexpected circumstances. Let me tell you something. You can just be going along. Everything seems to be fine. Life seems to be, it's probably never, it's never been any better than this. And you're just going along and suddenly, tragic, unexpected circumstances occur in your life. And you find yourself crushed. You find yourself beaten down. You find yourself bruised. You know, for example, things are going well, and, 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 and you go to the doctor with your wife or your son or your daughter, and, and, and they do the, 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 the diagnosis and say, well, he's it's, it's got cancer. Boy, that's a tragic, unexpected circumstances. You're probably going to lay awake at night for a few nights about that. You're going to probably be wondering why. You know what that's called? You, you're crushed. God. This happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to my family. So you can be crushed. What about when a loved one dies suddenly? It may not just be suddenly. But you know, there's a process. Some die instantly. And then there's a process where people go through the thing and, and they die. And let me just say one thing. You're talking about being crushed. My Lord. You're crushed when someone that, you know, hey, I know where Don Howie is. If ever a man knew Jesus, and he'd, but I know he's in heaven, but I guarantee you there's many a tear in Marie's eye, many a tear in the eyes of his daughters and his son. They called him Papa. I guarantee they're battling oppression when the loved one suddenly or unexpectedly or over a period of time is snatched away from us no, we, even though we know where they are, we still feel crushed in our spirit. You know, sometimes there can be a crisis in one of your children. You get a phone call. You didn't know they were running with the wrong crowd. You didn't know. You weren't fully aware of all the choices they were making. But uh, all of a sudden, just a few words on the telephone, it looks like somebody rips your heart out. Feels like somebody just beat you down and you feel crushed. My God, I mean, what is this? And then it just doesn't seem to end right away. You can be crushed 
when something goes wrong with your children. You can be crushed when there's a crisis in your marriage. You know, I, it, it breaks my heart. You know, you know, some people have been married 15 to 20 years, and the man walks in and says, well, I don't love you anymore, and I'm, going, I'm moving out. First of all, I'm glad I'm not there because I'd want to be, not beat the fire out of him. But I'm not, I'm not, I mean, that's not a good attitude, but that's what I feel. You don't walk into somebody you've been married to 20 years and say, well, I'm through. I found somebody I like better. Man, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. Lord, have mercy, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> You're talking about crushed. You're talking about downtrodden. No perfect marriages, no perfect husbands, no perfect wives. But it seemed like I heard this before over a thousand couples that I married. For better or for? In sickness and in? In richer and poorer. What happened to that? Was that just a game? When you made a covenant with a person and with God, is it, does it not count? Can you change your mind anytime you want to? Yes, you can. But I guarantee you, God will deal with you. Don't take it lightly. You know, Brother Fred, but the grass looks greener on the other side. You've got to mow it even though it's on the other side. <laughs> the soon the glamour of it will wear off and you'll be back in the same old rut. You know, um, it, can be cru- it can be crushed in your marriage and in your finances. So you lose your job. You know, it, it's tough. When, when you, you work and you want to work and you're able to work and you don't have work and you, you feel like something's wrong with you because you've always been responsible financially, now you're just... Uh, you say, Lord, how did I get here? I tell you, you can be crushed under the weight of a financial burden. You know, there's many ways we can be crushed. Sometimes it's just people that come against us. Well, I've, I'm, I've asked one of our couples to give a testimony. How they dealt with oppression in their life. So, Gary, if you and Fran would come on up. You know, we've had a testimony all along in each one about salvation. Brother Rob did one on salvation, and then someone did one on a broken heart. But this is, a, uh, th- this is about oppression. And we prayed about each person that we asked to, uh, to share. And, and Mike and Carolyn shared on uh, having a broken heart. And, and uh, then Adam and his wife shared on uh, battling and overcoming, delivering the captives. And so uh, let, let, let Gary and Fran just share their heart of what it is to be oppressed. You'll be able to relate to it, I hope, and you'll understand. Good morning. Most of y'all here know us, but for those of you who don't, my name's Gary Greeno, and this is my better half, Fran. I grew up in a broken home. My dad deserted us when I was born. My mother remarried, and my stepfather was abusive to all of us until my grandfather ran him out of town. 
So I grew up needing spiritual and emotional healing. Fran and I moved to Mobile in 1969. And miracle of miracles, in 1973, I was elected to the Mobile City Commission. It's a system of government where the three commissioners rotated being mayor. I served in that office from 1973 until January of 1985, at which time I was sentenced to 25 years in prison and given a $25,000 fine. We're not here this morning to talk about that case, although I will say that now as then I was innocent and actually time has proven that to be the case. We're here this morning to share some of how the Lord provided for us during an oppressive and difficult time in our lives. It was in mid-August of 1984. Is that, can y'all hear her? Push the bottom of it. It was in mid-August of 84, and we began to hear rumors that Gary was gonna be indicted but we didn't take it seriously because we knew the truth. The manager and the assistant manager of the auditorium had already been indicted. And I remember overhearing Gary one night on the phone with one of them say to the, the man, well, if you're leveling with me, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Well, later we found out he wasn't leveling with Gary. Uh, and it was... Uh, Later, a couple of weeks later, uh, Gary had gone out of town on a business trip. Our two older girls, Kelly and Kim, were on a mission trip with our church, and our two younger girls, Christina and Catherine, were spending the weekend with my parents over in Pascagoula. And that night, I just really cried out to the Lord, and I was in our living room. I lay on the floor, and I just was praying asking God about the situation and asking him to give us a word to stand on. And I remember that night that God wouldn't let me pray, don't let Gary get indicted. What he kept uh, putting on my heart was whatever brings you the most glory. Now I got to tell you, if knowing what I know now, I'm not sure I could pray that prayer, but I, I hope I could, but that, I know too much now, but I hope I would be able to pray that. Well, uh, the scripture that the Lord gave me that night was found in Isaiah, Isaiah the 54th chapter, and most of that really ministered to me. There were several verses that really popped out, for the mountains shall depart, for the mountains may be removed and the hill may be hills for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed but my kindness my loving kindness shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be shaken says the Lord who has compassion on you and another verse and all your sons and I knew God was telling me all my daughters will be taught of the Lord and the well-being of your sons will be great in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, 
it will not be for me. So that just comforted me greatly. Well, the next morning, my prayer partner, Libby, called me and she said, Friend, the Lord gave me a verse for you. And she read the very same verse, No weapon formed against you will prosper. So I, I knew I had the word that God was giving me to stand on. Well, then two weeks after Gary's trial, uh, one of my daughter's teachers sent a note home by her and gave me the very same verse. But this time it was in the Living Bible, and it said, But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you shall succeed, and you will have justice against every courtroom lie. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is the blessing I've given you, says the Lord. So God confirmed that verse for me several times. And it was the Sunday morning after the trial, and uh, I was, I know exactly where I was standing. I was making up the bed, and I heard God as clearly as I've ever heard him speak to me. Uh, I was thinking, how are we going to make it? No salary, no savings. Gary's going to be in prison. And very clearly, the Lord said to me in my spirit, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. And that was the verse that just encouraged me over and over during those days. That afternoon, our pastor visited and uh, outlined to us a plan that God had given him. A support group was to be formed, and it was uh, by people mainly, out, it was to operate outside our church. For over six years, Mike Speaks and Herb Fisher would receive money donated by various people. And one of them would call Fran and tell her how much money she had to live on that month. Because of the trauma to our children, God was gracious, incredibly gracious, to allow Fran to stay home with the girls. Uh, I should mention here that our oldest two were at Murphy High School and our youngest two were, uh, were at home. Later, someone uh, told Fran that... Uh, I, support group was a great idea, but it wouldn't last. Well, it did. It was God's plan. And as I met many, many men from everywhere, all over the place who were incarcerated with me, we would talk about that. And when I told them that, they were awed. They couldn't believe it. I, honestly, I really couldn't believe it myself. But it was a great testimony to many men from many walks of life. One of the very first times in prison that, that God uh, provided a direct major encouragement to me because being in all honesty, I got to tell you, I thought, this is the end, man. I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm done. Anyhow, while I was in transit from Mobile to Ashland, Kentucky, I was held in the penitentiary in Atlanta, one of our beautiful tax-supported institutions. <laughs> Fred actually came to visit me there. When I was there, the very first night, early, uh, early the next morning before daylight, 
a person appeared and, and slid my food tray into the cell. And I couldn't, couldn't see his face because all the lights were behind him. And here's what he said. No matter what you see or hear in this place, remember God loves you. I was overwhelmed. You cannot believe what an encouragement that was to me. The next morning, as daylight came, I asked the guard on that, that run, they call it, who that was that brought me my meal. I knew it was a black man because I could recognize his voice. He said, there's no one that fits that description up here. And that's when it dawned on me, God sent an angel to speak to me. He knew what I needed. God did miracle after miracle to take care of us during those years. In fact, he did exceeding abundantly above everything that we could have ever imagined. For instance, one Wednesday afternoon, our daughter Kelly came home from an eye doctor appointment, and she said, Mom, Mom, we're gonna, I need new contacts, and it's going to be $160. And I said, well, we'll just worry about that tomorrow. Come on, let's go to church. And so we went right on then to church to our supper, and while we were sitting there at dinner that night, a lady put a, a check in my Bible. Well, when I got home that night and I opened my Bible and I looked at that check, it was for $160, not a penny more or a penny less. And then another time I was walking through the foyer in our home and uh, we didn't use our front door very often. And I glanced out the window and I saw in a hanging basket an envelope. So I opened the door and got the envelope and it had my name on the outside, Fran, and that's all it had on it. When I opened it, it was six $100 bills. So over and over, the Lord provided for us. People would loan us their car because our old station wagon had seen better days and they would loan us their cars when we went to visit Gary. People would buy clothes for us. They sent us money over and beyond the support group many times to meet our needs. The dentist that our girls went to would, didn't charge us. Our doctor didn't charge us. And the biggest, one of the biggest blessings was our oldest daughter, Kelly, was given a scholarship to Samford University up in Birmingham based simply on the goodness of God. So it was amazing to us to see God flesh out for us what he had said to me that Sunday morning. God made a way for me uh, in prison in many, many, many ways. One of the most dramatic, of course, though. I knew that God didn't give us a spirit of fear. But in honesty, I was deeply concerned. I was concerned that the noise, the constant bounding noise, like a blast furnace of noise, and the unbelievably filthy language would just drive me crazy. And I'd, I didn't show up there, you know, used to all pure language. I heard a little bit of nasty talk in the Marines, but this was beyond my capacity to conceive of. And so one night in just desperation, I just cried out, God, do you even know where I am? 
Some of you may have been there. Do you know where I am? Tell me something specific that I can do so that I will know that you know where I am. And I needed it desperately. Well, in a kind voice, God's always been more gentle with me than I've ever been with him, I have to confess. But in a kind voice, he said, well, this morning you go to the mess hall and bring a cup of coffee out. Bring the cup out. Well, you know, I was so smart, I thought, well, God doesn't know how they work this place. He just doesn't understand. These people really think they're in charge. So I argued with him, and I said, you know, they'll throw me in the hole for that. Their precious little plastic coffee cups are sacred. So I went to breakfast, and when I finished breakfast, I filled my cup with coffee. And as I was going out the door, and man, I, I was expecting the worst to happen. I really, truly was. That shows you the level of my faith. Well, one of the lieutenants says to me, and by the way, I need to tell you, they were always there at, around the mess hall because that's where they always anticipated trouble would, would occur. One of the lieutenants says to me, well, you're Greeno, the mayor of Mobile, right? To which I said, yes, sir. I thought, here it comes. Then just as sarcastically as he could, as he could muster, he said, well, you're the first big town mayor we've ever had here, so you're a celebrity. I said, yeah, right. I left with that cup in my hand. He never noticed it. Two lieutenants and two guards standing there harassing me with their sarcasm. They never noticed the cup. That cup taught me unbelievable lessons for years to come. The first thing it really did was it, it led me to more fully understand because I studied in the scripture what Brother Fred said a while ago. It helped me more fully understand the strength of Jesus. Can you imagine your Savior Jesus sweating blood through the pores of his skin about the cup that he had. And he went on and did what his father told him to do. Me of great faith, I just stole a plastic cup out of a prison mess hall. He did what God told him to do. That showed me the really strong man, Jesus. And from that instant on, I knew that I could depend on him. I could count on him. I could lean on him. I could trust him. For years, the cup served as a place for other prisoners to put their names. They would write their name and even their number sometimes and, and what they owed because they would borrow things out of my locker. And uh, things like shampoo, soap, instant coffee, things you can't imagine but if you're in a prison and you don't have them, you need them. Okay? When they, would, when they would repay what they owed, they paid back more than they had taken. And guess what we did with the profit? 
We provided for prisoners coming in, getting off the chain bus who had absolutely nothing as a part of our chapel ministry for them. That cup stayed with me until I was released. And it was a treasure in my heart. One of the most difficult times for me while Gary was in prison was uh, in the summer after my, our third daughter, Christina, was, had been in the second grade. She was spending the night with one of her friends, and they were in a hot tub taking times going under the water, holding their breath. And when her friend's time to come up uh, was when she was ready, she suddenly realized that her hair was caught in the drain, and she couldn't come up, and she, Christina remembers her grabbing her, and she tried to pull her up and couldn't, and then called her mother, and uh, she came, and she tried and tried, and finally, in desperation, one last time, and she freed her, but because she had held her breath until there were, she had, she couldn't, uh, she had to come up and get air. When she opened her mouth, she filled up with water. And so it was, she drowned in that uh, hot tub. And that was just an incredible, incredible uh, hard time for all of us. In the midst of uh, Ashley's parents' pain, they were wonderful to Christina, but it definitely traumatized Christina. And I knew I couldn't tell Gary because he was in transit. They were transferring him from uh, outside of Dallas to Texarkana in Texas. And so I waited until we uh, could go visit him that first weekend after he got there. And they allowed us to go in to uh, chapel service with them on Sunday morning. And so uh, Gary had just arrived, and we were there, so he, this was his first Sunday in, in that chapel service. Well, one of the volunteers, a man named Ron Brigman, who came and ministered at that uh, facility every week, was preaching that morning, and he sort of walked around as he preached. Gary was sitting at the end of our row, and he was holding Christina, and Ron, when he walked he was standing by Christina about that time, and he put his hand on Christina's head, and he said, when something traumatic happens to one of our children, we need to just lay hands on her and pray for them. And so Gary and I were just blown away uh, at how God was moving already, even though no one knew a thing about that. But that began a wonderful friendship with the Brigman family for uh, for us, and the girls and I spent many holiday, shared many holiday meals with them the whole time Gary was in prison out in uh, Texarkana. But one of the uh, things that I think the Lord used uh, in, in the scripture to minister to me the most during uh, Gary's imprisonment was in being thankful. Uh, a man called me one day from our church. He was uh, uh, going through a divorce. His wife had left him. And he asked me, Fran, how, how do you make it? How do you do this? And, of course, I knew right off the bat, of course, that my strength was in the Lord. But I started thinking about it. And the Lord just reminded me that, that 
the what he was teaching me was in everything to give thanks and uh, to tell myself the truth about the situation. Yeah, I didn't like it. It was awful. It hurt. It was painful. But I wouldn't stop there. I would remind myself this is not going to go on forever. And the most importantly, that God was right there with me. He was present. And uh, and I would thank him no matter what would happen. Uh, uh, if my washing machine uh, broke, and it did, I'd say, thank you, Lord, at least I have a washing machine. Thank you that I have dirty clothes to wash. You know, I tried in everything to give thanks, and uh, I shared that with him, and that that one thing carried me through so much and comforted me because it was just a reminder to me that I didn't have to thank God for the situation, but I would thank God in the situation and thank him that he wouldn't forsake me, that he would be with me, he'd be my provider, my protector. And I, I could have never have made it through any of this without his presence, without his strength, without Christian friends and my family, and without the body of Christ. The Lord allowed me the opportunity to experience almost all of the aspects of the federal prison system. It's a huge organization. As a matter of fact, America is now the world's leading incarcerator. So I was just one of the numbers. I was in a level three prison in Ashland, Kentucky with razor wire and double fence and gun towers. My cellmate was in for life and a day for murder. Later, I was moved to Siegelville, Texas, which is a level two. And then I was moved to Texarkana, Texas, which is a level three institution with a camp. And fortunately for me, I was in the camp there. And then ultimately, I was sent to Eglin, which is a camp. And in some ways, it was the hardest to, to put up with because it's so fancy on the outside. And always, every day I thought about the scripture where, where Jesus said, tombs whitewashed full of dead man's bones. And that's what I thought about it. I served almost six years in prison. And after that, when I was released, I, I was on probation for five, for five years. We were able to pay off my fine after we refinanced our house it took away all the equity and everything but you know what what was intended to destroy us didn't succeed we did survive well let me tell you in all candor and honesty and y'all most of y'all here see me up and around here all the time i try to be friendly because i love life and i love people and I especially love the people here. This, the Spirit of God is very much alive here, and we enjoy it. But the pains and the hurts that went so very deep won't ever be completely gone. But let me hasten to add to you that through this experience, and we hope you gather this from it all, you can find freedom which comes in a person, in a relationship with a person. His name is Jesus Christ. He is your God and your Savior. 
the way the way Jesus taught me that was through Matthew six four eighteen. And I'm gonna read it to you, but it's on the screen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I had to go from wanting to skin these folks and make a wetsuit out of them <laughs> to the point where I didn't even think about them that much. You have to do it. God tells you to do it, and he tells you what he will do. He showed me what he would do. He let the lieutenant not even notice my cup. But you got a will to do it. You got to decide. You got to choose to do it. You got to choose to do it every day, hour by hour, minute by minute. As I told you, the strong man Jesus can do that. He can forgive through you as you choose to do it. He helped uh, helped me to go through all of that without building, without filling my life with hate and bitterness. So many people in there, or just they look 90 years old when they're 30 because they're full of bitterness and hatred. Jesus is the doorway to freedom. He truly releases those who have been crushed. He sets at liberty those that are bruised. He sets the wounded free from their chains, whether they're physical chains or any other kind of chains. He liberates the oppressed. That really, if you think about it, describes us all. Our God is really good. Amen. Praise God. Amen.